In these podcasts, we uncover one chapter after another from the life of the Prophet ﷺ in an attempt to learn about him, to love him, and to better ourselves through his example. Immersion, mentorship, companionship, and tarbiyah. These are just a few of the things we offer alongside knowledge of the prophetic biography at the Sirah Intensive. Two weeks dedicated to the study of the life of the Prophet ﷺ and his noble characteristics. So this winter, join me in Dallas, Texas, alongside your classmates from all over the world to learn the story of the life of the best of humanity, the ultimate mercy to mankind, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah continuing with our series on the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Asiratul Nabawiyya, the prophetic biography. So inshallah we're going to be continuing on um, with our discussion on the battle of Uhud. This is the, um, one of the great uh, or landmark events of the life of the Prophet ﷺ. This is one of the major events in the Medinan Sirah specifically. It occurred in the third year of Hijrah, the third year of the Prophet ﷺ's residence in the city of Medina. Um, and it occurred basically uh, in the month of Shawwal, so about 13 months after the Battle of Badr had transpired. And we've been talking about the Battle of Uhud for quite some time now, for a few weeks. Where we left off previously was basically to summarize, the Muslims, they arrived there at Uhud to face the Quraysh, the Meccans, who are basically marched up to what can practically be considered the gates of the city of Medina, and the Prophet ﷺ and the believers, they basically meet them off over there. They line up, uh, the numbers are basically 700 to 3,000. There were originally about 1,000 Muslims or 1,000 in the Muslim army. 300 of them were under the leadership of Abdullah bin Ubay bin Sulul, uh, the leader of the hypocrites, the munafiqun, an enemy of the Prophet ﷺ. Um, and so he retreated back with his 300 people, so which left about 700 people in the ranks of the Muslims. They lined up, the Prophet ﷺ strategically placed, placed about 50 archers on a small hill that covered their, the back of the Muslim army, preventing anyone from ambushing them from behind. Uh, the Muslims were granted a significant victory in the early part of the battle, where they began to chase the enemy off the battlefield in spite of the odds of 4 to 1. Unfortunately at that time, as some of the narrations we've talked about, Shaytan, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, actually in a narration she says that, in Hazam al-Mushrikun, that the enemy had suffered defeat at the hands of the Muslims, and she says that at that particular time, Shaytan, he uh, called out, um, basically in disguise, he called out to the Muslims who were perched up on that place where the Prophet ﷺ told them to cut, you know, watch the uh, back of the Muslims and he shouted from there, Ukhrakum, Ukhrakum, that look, everything is over. 
And at that point in time, unfortunately, some of the Muslims, they left most of the uh, 50 archers that were placed, about 40 of them, they left their post. And that led to Khalid bin Walid, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who was not Muslim at this particular time, to come from behind with the cavalry, ambush the Muslims from behind. The mushrikun who were fleeing the battlefield, they similarly turned around, realizing the opportunity at hand, and the Muslims were caught in the middle. Great losses occurred in that major test that befell the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims. Amongst them was the, uh, the death of the killing of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the uncle and the foster brother of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Uh, along with that, Musa bin Umayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu also fell in the battlefield um, and many other notable companions of the Prophet sallallahu fell at that time. The Prophet ﷺ himself was very severely injured, bleeding very profusely from his face of all places. Uh, and either, either due to the injuries to the Prophet ﷺ or the death of Musa bin Umayr, according to some historians, who resembled the Prophet ﷺ from far away if you looked at him, that in either case the rumor spread that the Prophet ﷺ had been killed in the battlefield. And that just was devastating uh, to the believers. One of the narrations mentions about Anas ibn Nadar. Anas ibn Nadar radiallahu ta'ala anhu was an Ansari, was a Muslim of Medina. He was the uncle of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, the young assistant. Khadim, the young assistant of the Prophet ﷺ, and he was actually named after his uncle. Anas ibn Nadar came upon Abu Bakr, Umar, uh, Ali ibn Abi Talib, Talhat ibn Zubair, Zubair ibn al-Awam, many of the Kibaru Sahaba, major Sahaba, and they were kind of sitting down, huddled up in a corner somewhere, when the battle, you know, just, there was total chaos and panic, um, and he asked them, what are you doing here sitting? Right? What, what are you doing? What, what made you sit like this? And they said that, قُتِلَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمُ They said that the Messenger of God وسلم, has been killed. And so he responded at that time by saying that if in fact the Prophet of Allah وسلم, has been killed, قُومُوا he said that stand up and go and die for what the messenger gave his life for. Don't sit here and lament his death, but die for what he died for, the cause. And so at that time everyone was motivated and Anas ibn Nadar radiallahu ta'ala himself jumped into the thick of the battle until he himself was shaheed. He fell in the battle. And we talked about this before that when uh, Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, لَقَدْ وَجَدْنَا بِأَنَسِ بْنِ النَّظَرِ يَوْمَئِذٍ سَبْعِينَ ضَرْبَةً We found more than 70 wounds on his body. فَمَا عَرَفَهُ إِلَّا أُخْتُهُ عَرَفَتْهُ بِبَنَانِهِ he, Only his sister was able to recognize him and she recognized him from the tips of his fingers. Um, and so at this particular time the battle was raging on. Some of the other very notable, you know, sacrifices of the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum was that uh, Abdurrahman bin Auf ibn Hisham uh, ta'ala, the famous historian, the scholar of the seerah he actually notes and he says that anna Abdurrahman bin Auf usiba fuhu yawma idhin he was injured in his mouth he was injured in his mouth to the point where he left a permanent scar fahatima wajuriha ishreena jarahatana wa he suffered more than 20 injuries 
20 wounds Abdurrahman bin Auf asabahu ba'duha fi rijlihi fa'arija and he received some very major wounds and injuries to his leg to the point where for the rest of his life he limped he had a very significant limp and injury for the rest of his life that's how badly Abdurrahman bin Auf radiyallahu ta'ala anhu was injured on that day and I'll go ahead and mention this here What's really remarkable when I tell you about Abdurrahman bin Auf radiallahu ta'ala anhu and how severely he was injured that he suffered more than 20 wounds. His mouth had a permanent scar. He had a permanent injury and limp in his leg from that point on that caused him quite a bit of pain and discomfort for the rest of his life. What's really remarkable is that the same Abdurrahman bin Auf radiallahu ta'ala anhu he was sitting, Imam Bukhari mentions this in his Sahih, Abdurrahman bin Auf, years later, he's sitting one time and he's fasting. He was fasting, so somebody came and presented and brought him some food to break his fast. And the idea here is that this is later in his life. Abdurrahman bin Auf radiallahu ta'ala anhu is a senior companion of the Prophet. Sahabi Kabir. Min kibar is sahaba. So he's a very senior companion of the Prophet. There, that, what that basically means, what we would consider that to be, is like imagine what the status of like a very, very senior scholar who is a teacher of the teachers of the teachers. Right? And how we would interact with them and how we would view such a person. He's a senior companion of the Prophet. He became Muslim early in the days of Makkah. He had 23 years of suhbah. Companionship with who? Muhammadur Rasulullah He mentored many of the notable sahaba. That's Abdurrahman bin Auf. So obviously he's fasting. He's an elder. So somebody came and, you know, khidmah, like honoring, you know, your teachers. Somebody came and brought him some food, presented some food to him. That shaykh, you know, I know you're fasting, here's some food. When he saw that somebody's coming and serving him and bringing him food, he sat there quiet for a moment and he says, Qala, Qutila Musa bin Umair, wa huwa khayrun minni. Musa bin Umair, he died in the battlefield. He was killed and he's, he's, he was better than me. He's better than me. Kuffina fi burdatin in ghuttiya ra'suhu badat rijlahu. وَإِنْ غُطِّيَ رِجْلَهُ بَدَى رَأْسُهُ And he said, Musa bin Umair was killed and he's better than me. But he was buried in a shroud, you know, kafan shroud, the sheet you covered the dead body with. He was buried in a shroud that if his head was covered, his feet would become exposed. And we would pull it down to cover his feet, his head would become uncovered. And he goes on to say, وَقُتِلَ حَمْزَةً وَهُوَ خَيْرٌ مِّنِّي And Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu was killed. And he's better than me. ثُمَّ بُصِتَ لَنَا مِنَ الدُّنْيَا مَا بُصِتَ And he said, and we're sitting here today, and Allah has granted us material blessings that you see before you. He said, أُعْطِينَا مِنَ الدُّنْيَا مَا أُعْطِينَا Allah gave us what He gave us. We were given what we were given. وَقَدْ خَشِيْنَا أَن تَكُونَ حَسَنَاتُنَا عُجِّلَتْ لَنَا And I'm afraid, I fear 
that our deeds, we have been rewarded for our deeds in this world. I am afraid that we are being rewarded for our deeds in this world. Then he would start to cry. And he would sob like a child. And he pushed the food away and he said, I can't eat. It's, you know, this is a very fascinating comparison, contrast in mindset. We talk a lot and we have a lot of conversations and discussions that we don't, that we shouldn't, you know, look negatively on the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We oftentimes have conversations, money, wealth is not inherently evil. And we shouldn't have this attitude of just enjoying the blessings of Allah, having some comfort in our life. is not inherently a curse or evil. But it's a test. And if you do good with it, then it's good. If you do bad with it, then it's bad. It's like anything else. While that is true, fundamentally, we also have to decide what our goal and our objective is. Do we want to be the person who basically says, I will do the bare minimum, you know, and basically chance or risk that my good will somehow outweigh my bad and I will be deserving and worthy of the mercy of Allah? Allah's mercy is unimaginable, unlimited, but I will be deemed worthy of His mercy and His forgiveness. I'm willing to take that chance versus whether we want to strive for the highest degrees of success and the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the eternal bliss and, and happiness of the life of the hereafter. I oftentimes for myself, I'm just talking out loud here. Please nobody understand that I'm lecturing anybody about this. I, I, I just like to take these opportunities to think out loud because I don't think in this area, I don't think I'm in a position to lecture anyone. But I'm using the opportunity to think out loud. I think to myself quite often that when we, why don't we contrast and compare our mindset when it comes to dunya? We have similar options available to us. I can sit and do the math. What does it cost to live in a very minimal, minimally sized apartment? What does it cost to drive something that just basically it's got four wheels and can get me from point A to point B? What does it cost for me to live just absolutely, you know, by the bare minimum, food-wise, furniture-wise, appliance-wise? And let me do that math, and I come up with a number, I'll just give an arbitrary number, come up with, okay, $2,000 a month, $1,500 a month, whatever. And at that point in time, why don't I only get, you know, in terms of some type of worldly training that allows me to have a job that provides exactly $2,000 a month. I will live, I will survive, because I'm just trying to fulfill the bare minimum. But that idea is so unpalatable. Unfathomable. It's so hard for us to even grasp that idea and that mindset. Why would you do that to yourself? Why would you aim so low? Why would you, you know, sell yourself short 
and so on and so forth. But it's remarkable that in the Akhirah, for the hereafter, I don't think that way. Like I don't think, why am I selling myself short? But I pray five times a day. I've memorized a little bit of Quran, half a juz. I pay my zakat once a year. I fast in Ramadan. I went for hajj once. That's khalas. So I am completely okay with giving an hour a day to my deen, to my relationship with Allah, to the learning of my religion, the practice of my religion, and 23 hours a day for myself, and my own worldly ambitions and pursuits. I've, I've negotiated that in my mind, and I'm okay with it, but I would never think that way about my worldly pursuits. And it's just quite fascinating and remarkable. But you see the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, if anyone here is named Abdurrahman, we're named Abdurrahman because of Abdurrahman bin Auf. Anyone is named Umar is because of Umar ibn Khattab. Anyone, my daughter is named Aisha. Who do you think I named her Aisha after? Aisha bin Sabi Bakr, Ummul Mu'mineen, Zawju Rasulillah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Right? Like, we obviously revere and respect and admire and look up to these individuals. But this is their mindset. And we see that it's not a random accident that when Allah speaks about them in the Quran, Allah says, لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذْ يُبَايِعُونَكَ تَحْتَ الشَّجَرَةِ فَعَلِمَ مَا فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ فَأَنزَلَ السَّكِينَةَ عَلَيْهِمْ وَأَثَابَهُمْ فَتْحًا قَرِيبًا That when a person goes to paradise, after they get all the blessings that they will enjoy in paradise, then they will be called by Allah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say that, هَلْ تُرِيدُونَ شَيْئًا أَزِيدُكُمْ Is there anything more that you want that I can give you? And they'll say, أَلَمْ تُبَيِّضْ وُجُوهَنَا Oh Allah, did you not already honor and dignify us? أَلَمْ تَغْفِرْ لَنَا ذُنُوبَنَا Oh Allah, have you not forgiven our sins already? Meaning you forgave our sins, you honored us. What more could we possibly want or ask for? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say at that time, I announce today my pleasure with you, that I am pleased with you. Guaranteed. And I will never be displeased or disappointed with you ever again for all of eternity. You are good with me. And the narration says, the Prophet says that the people in paradise have not been given anything that will be more gratifying, more fulfilling, more rewarding for them than that announcement. Like it's just so remarkable. And these people, these individuals were given that guarantee while they were still alive in this dunya. It blows your mind that that is something we are told that we aspire, that we hope, we dream to ever attain in the life of the hereafter and they're being given that in this dunya. They read this ayah in the Quran about themselves. Like Allah constantly. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is praising them. Rijalun sadaqu People who fulfilled their covenant, their promise to Allah. They lived by their word that they gave to Allah. Like think about Allah saying that about somebody. Because that was their mindset. This is we, this has to be, I'm reminding myself again here, this has to be on my radar somewhere. This has to be there in my mind. This has to be a target that I have laid out for myself.
Similar other narrations. Khabab ibn al-Arat. Subhanallah, like just saying the names. Imam Bukhari also mentions this as well. Khabab ibn al-Arat. To give you some context about who's talking here. Who is Khabab? Khabab ibn al-Arat radiallahu ta'ala anhu is an early convert to Islam in the early days of Makkah. He was a slave. He was tortured relentlessly. He describes his own torture. When people would ask him stories later on, he would tell them the stories. He would, you know, tell us what the early days of Makkah were like. He says, you want to know? Yes, we want to know. So he would tell them. He said that we would be blashed and beaten all day and all night. And when we didn't break, when I didn't relent, then what they would do is they would take coals, like charcoal, they would take coal, they would light it up until it was red. Then they would put me down on my back on top of it and drag me across it by my back. And Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala who regularly used to go to him and he says, Khabbab, show me your back. Remind me where we came from. Remind me of our beginnings. And he would raise up his shirt from the back and Umar radiallahu anhu said, you've never seen anything like that in your entire life. How brutal it was. This khabbab, this man, who gave this for the deen of Allah, what does he say? In a hadith of Bukhari, he says, Hajarna ma'an Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. We made hijrah, we migrated, we left Makkah from Medina with the messenger of God sallallahu alayhi wasallam. All we wanted in life was the pleasure of Allah. So we had our reward was stored with Allah. Like God promised us our reward. We had earned our reward and God had promised us our reward. But then he says, there were some of us who passed and went on, who left this world, and they had not reaped any of their reward in the least bit. كَانَ مِنْهُمْ مُسْعَبِ بْنُ عُمَيْرِ قُتِلَ يَوْمَ أُحُدْ Amongst them is Musa bin Umair. He was killed in the battle of Uhud. فَلَمْ يَتْرُكْ إِلَّا نَمِرَةً All he left behind was one like sheet or a garment. كُنَّا إِذَا غَطَّيْنَا بِهَا رَأْسَهُ خَرَجَتْ رِجْلَهُ وَإِذَا غُطِّيَ بِهَا رِجْلَهُ خَرَجَ رَأْسُهُ He said that when we would pull that sheet up to cover his head, his feet would be uncovered. When we pulled it down to cover his feet, his head became uncovered. فَقَالَ لَنَا النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ غَطُّوا بِهَا رَأْسَهُ وَجَعَلُوا عَلَى رِجْلَيْهِ الْإِذْخَرِ He said the Prophet ﷺ told us that cover up his head and cover his feet with leaves. Take leaves of trees and cover up his feet. And then he says, He says, and there are some from amongst us who made those sacrifices whose root, whose fruits had ripened. And they harvested the fruits of their labors. It's so shocking and remarkable to think that these Sahaba actually thought that living till a time 
when their lives were not being threatened anymore, when they could pray and live in peace and relative comfort, relative I say, not our type of luxury, but relative to what they used to experience, relative comfort and safety, that they felt that that's it, khalas, we've reaped all the rewards of our deeds. That tells you two things. Number one, how little they thought of their deeds. Subhanallah. Even though they laid the foundation of Islam, they watered the garden of Islam with their blood. But how little they thought of their deeds. How humble they were in front of Allah. And number two, it also tells you how they had zero interest in enjoying themselves in the life of this world. But they were the people of the hereafter. They were the people of the akhirah. Really, really remarkable. Similarly, along the same lines, Imam Bukhari rahimahullah ta'ala mentions another narration that Ibn al-Munkadir, he's one of the tabi'un, he says, Sami'atu Jabiran qala, he said, I heard Jabir radiallahu ta'ala anhu say, Lamma qutila abi, ja'altu abki. When my father was killed in the battle of Uhud, Jabir radiallahu ta'ala anhu, by the way, he had seven younger sisters. He had seven younger sisters. Some of them were very, very young, like still children, babies. And he basically was the eldest child and the eldest son. And he basically became the man of the house and was responsible for all of his younger siblings. So he says that when my father was killed on the day of Uhud, Ja'altu Abki, I started to cry. And I kept removing the, sh- the sheet, the, the shroud from his face to look at his face. He was very close to his father. Him and his father were very close. And he said, I kept uncovering his face and I kept crying. The companions of the Prophet started to kind of calm me down and tell me not to do that. That they felt I was kind of getting out of hand. My grief was kind of getting out of hand. I was becoming a little too, you know, kind of animated or... A little too emotional. When Nabi Yusallam Lam Yanha, subhanAllah. He says, but the Prophet didn't stop me. The Prophet didn't stop me. Because he understood that this is grief, this is sorrow. And he says that the Prophet said, La Tabki. But he did console me. He didn't stop me, pull me away, but he did console me. He said, La Tabki. La Tabkihi. Oh Matabkihi. He says that either he said, Don't cry for him, for your father, or he said, Why do you cry for him? The angels are covering him with their wings until his soul will be lifted up and taken to Allah. The angels are here to honor and to protect your father. Why do you cry? Your father is a great man. An honorable man in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These were the sacrifices of the Sahaba on that day of Uhud. Another narration that is very, it tells you just that unfortunate things happen in the battlefield. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, what I was telling you, that she says, that when the mushrikun earlier they suffered defeat on the day of Uhud, but then Iblis shouted out that, O oh, slaves of God, look behind you to the Muslims and the 
you know, that's when the mushrikun came from behind. He was just basically causing more confusion. فَرَجَعَتْ أُولَاهُمْ فَجْتَلَدَتْ هِيَ وَأُخْرَاهُمْ So when they, when they got ambushed from behind, and panic started to ensue, the, the Muslims who were in the front, they turned around and they started crashing into other Muslims. And basically, there was all this panic. The Muslims on both sides were sandwiched by the mushrikun. In between, the Muslims were running into each other, crashing into each other. And it was just complete pandemonium. That at that time, فَبَصُرَ حُذَيْفَ فَإِذَاهُوَ بِيَّبِيهِ الْيَمَانِ Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman. Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu is a very close companion of the Prophet He's called Sahibu Sirri Nabi the confidant of the Prophet He was very close and very trusted by the Prophet He told him some very particular things that he never shared with anyone else. Like the list of all the hypocrites and the munafiqun. And some of the specific, you know, liars and false prophets and trials that will come upon the ummah till the day of judgment. And so... His father, Al-Yaman, radiallahu anhu, was a Muslim. Him, and there was another elderly man by the name of Thabit bin Waqsh. Thabit ibn Waqsh, radiallahu anhu. These two men, they were very, very old. Like, they were very senior. Very, very senior. So, they were so old that they were basically left with a lot of the women and children in Medina. They were left with the women and children because of their senior age and their weakness. They were very old and very frail. But they both said to one another, while they were sitting there, kind of looked around, and they said, They said, the only time left in our lives is the amount of time that it takes a donkey to drink water. Sounds kind of strange, but it was an expression. Basically said, we don't have a lot of time left here. So they said that, why are we sitting here trying to enjoy whatever little time we have left? We don't have much time left, and it's not like our lives are very enjoyable anyways. We're old, we're frail, we're weak, we hurt most of the time. So they said, فَنَزَلَ لِيَحْضُرُ الْحَرْبِ So they both came out after the battle had started, and they jumped into the battlefield that said, let us go out as shuhada. So when they arrived there, they got caught in that melee, in that situation where it was just complete chaos in the Muslim ranks. At that exact moment, Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala his gaze happens to fall on his father. And he sees his old frail father just kind of standing in there in the battlefield in the middle of just this collision. And he starts to scream at that time, Ay ibadallah, abi, abi. Oh, slaves of Allah, like, oh, Muslims, look, my dad, my dad, my father, my father. And Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, I talked about this last time, she was taking care of the wounded in the battlefield. So she says that she saw this. She said, For wallahi mahtajazu hata qataluhu. That what ended up happening was both Thabit ibn Waqsh and Al-Yaman, Hudayfa's father, they both got caught in that collision. Thabit ibn Waqsh faqatalahu al-mushrikun. The non-Muslims ended up killing him. But Yaman, Hudayfa's father, he was unfortunately killed by some friendly fire, if you will. That he got trampled and run over by some of the Muslims who were running around the battlefield trying to survive. 
Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu saw his father get crushed. And he said, Yaghfirullahu lakum, may Allah forgive you. Urwa radiallahu anhu, narrating from his aunt Aisha radiallahu anha, she's he says, فَوَاللَّهِ مَا زَالَتْ فِي حُذَيْفَةً بَقِيَّةُ خَيْرٍ حَتَّى لَقِيَ اللَّهَ عَزَّ وَجَلَ But he says, I swear Hudayfa never had any ill will or any bad sentiments towards any Muslims. He never harbored any ill feelings towards any of the people that were there on that day until the day he left this world and went back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, after the battle was over and the whole situation came to light, the Prophet ﷺ, for some of the Muslims that were there, who basically, the, the group of people who ended up, you know, trampling him and killing him, the Prophet ﷺ told them that you should at the very least, this was accidental. So if you read the ayah of the Quran in Surah An-Nisa, وَمَنْ قَتَلَ مُؤْمِنًا خَطَأً فَتَحْرِرُ رَقَبَةٍ مُؤْمِنًا وَدِيَةٌ مُسَلَّمَةٌ إِلَىٰ أَهْلِهِ إِلَّا أَنْ يَصَدَّقُوا فَتَحْرِرُ رَقَبَةٍ مُؤْمِنًا وَدِيَةٌ مُسَلَّمَةٌ إِلَىٰ أَهْلِهِ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that if anybody ends up accidentally being involved in the death of a Muslim, if a Muslim is involved in the accidental death of a Muslim, then they should free a slave as a penalty between them and Allah. And secondly, they should offer the blood money. The blood money meaning some type of financial, you know, reparations are made to the family of the deceased. A hundred camels, or its equivalent. So, the, those Muslims were told that you should offer these types of reparations to the family of Al-Yaman, to Hudayfa, the son of Yaman. Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu tasaddaqa Hudayfa biyadiyati abihi ala al-Muslimin. He told them, no, this is a sadaqah from me. It's forgiven from me as sadaqah, and please keep it and don't worry about it. وَلَمْ يُعَاتِبْ أَحَدًا مِنْهُمْ And he never blamed any of them. Because he said it was accidental. And everybody was panicking on that day and it was not your fault. Like these were the sacrifices that were made on that day. But these were, this was also the character of these great and remarkable individuals on that very trying and testing day of the day of Uhud and all the, sacri- all the losses that basically occurred and everything they suffered through. Um, we talked about a similar story in regards to the Battle of Badr, but there is a Sahabi by the name of Qatada ibn Nu'aman radiallahu ta'ala anhu سَقَتَتْ عَيْنُهُ سَقَتَتْ عَلَى وَجْنَتِهِ His eye basically became so badly injured that his eye was hanging out of his face onto his cheek. And فَرَدَّهَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ بِيَدِهِ فَكَانَتْ أَحْسَنَ عَيْنَيْهِ وَأَحَدَّهُمَا The Prophet ﷺ made dua for him and with his blessed hand returned his eye back to a place and he was miraculously healed. And he actually says that it was the sharper of his two eyes and the better and the healthier of both of his eyes. So this was a miracle that basically occurred on that day as well. It's a very interesting incident that's been mentioned about this that some of his children or his grandchildren, they came to meet Umar bin Abdul Aziz, ta'ala, the great Khalifa and the great leader of Muslims. So he asked him that man anta, man anta, like it was his son or grandson, he asked him, man anta, who are you? فَقَالَ لَهُ مُرْتَجِلًا He said to him, أَنَا أَنَا الَّذِي سَالَتْ عَلَى الْخَدِّ عَلَى الْخَدِّ عَيْنُهُ فَرُدَّتْ بِكَفِّ الْمُصْطَفَى أَحْسَنَ الرَّدِّ فَعَادَتْ كَمَا كَانَتْ لِأَوَّلِ أَمْرِهَا 
said that I am the son, I am the grandson or the son of the one whose eye had fallen out onto his cheek. And it was returned into its place by the hand of Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the most beautiful way. He says it returned back to its original form completely healthy. What a blessed eye and what a blessed cheek that it was touched by the hand of Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This is similar to what Hassan ibn Thabit radiallahu ta'ala anhu would say. He would say that I did not adorn Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam with my words. Hassan bin Thabit radiallahu ta'ala anhu used to praise the Prophet sallallahu had poetry about the Prophet sallallahu famous you know lines like wa ahsana minka lam tara aini qattu wa ahsana minka lam talidin nisa'u khuliqta mubarra'an min kulli aibin ka'annaka qad khuliqta kama tasha'u that no one more beautiful that nobody more remarkable than you has my eyes have my eyes ever seen and nobody more breathtaking than you has ever been given birth to that you were completely free from all faults it's as if almost you were created how you would have requested um, that when he would say these types of words about the Prophet he said something remarkable he says Muhammad was not adorned, was not praised, was not uh, beautified by my words. But my words were beautified by the mention of Muhammad So similarly he says here that, the, that it is not a testament to Muhammad that he healed the eye of my grandfather. Rather it is a compliment to my grandfather's eye that it was touched by the hand of Muhammad Right, so powerful, such beautiful words. And then of course, Umar bin Abdul Aziz ta'ala also honored him and he praised him and said, I honor you because of the honor of your grandfather. There's a little bit more that we have to talk about here um, towards the uh, end of the Battle of Uhud and then we'll talk about the janazah and the burial of the shuhada um, and the aftermath of the battle insha'Allah. Um, the last thing I guess I'll mention here today, it deserves kind of its own, if you will, you know, session or lecture or presentation. Um, so forgive me for kind of mentioning it here in the second half of the lecture here tonight, but in the interest of maximizing our time and the opportunity to study the life of the Prophet ﷺ, I will go ahead and mention it here. One of the very remarkable incidents, or uh, one of the most remarkable people on the day of Uhud that is mentioned, Ibn Hisham, rahimullah ta'ala mentions this in his seerah, similarly, Ibn Kathir, rahimullah ta'ala mentions it in his seerah as well, along with others like Ibn Ishaq, um, that on the day of Uhud there was a woman by the name of Ummu Umara. Ummu Umara, Ummu Umara. Her name was actually Nasiba bint Ka'b al-Maziniyah. Nasiba bint Ka'b al-Maziniyah. She, it's mentioned about her that she fought on the day of Uhud. She actually fought on the day of Uhud. And what is her story about her fighting on the day of Uhud? That's... Um, Umm Sa'ad, who is the daughter of Sa'ad ibn Rabi'ah, she says that I went to go visit Umm Umara. فَقُلْتُ لَهَا I said to her, Ya Khala, O respected aunt, like it's a term of respect and endearment, O aunt, أخبريني خبرك. 
Tell me about your life, your experience. Your experiences. فَقَالَتْ خَرَجْتُ أَوَّلَ النَّهَارِ She says that on the day of Uhud, I went out in the early part of the day, وَنَأَنظُرُ مَا يَسْنَعُ النَّاسِ And I was watching what was going on in the battlefield. وَمَعِيَ سِقَاءٌ فِيهِ مَا And I had a water skin. Remember we talked about this, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha and others. They had like these water skins, um, kind of like jugs of water that they would provide water to the soldiers and the wounded particularly. So she said, I similarly had a water container that I was carrying with me. فَانْتَهَيْتُ إِلَىٰ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم وَهُوَ فِي أَصْحَابِهِ So I came to the Prophet wasallam, and he was with his companions. وَالدَّوْلَةُ وَالْرِيحُ لِلْمُسْلِمِينَ Victory seemed to be given to the Muslims at that time. فَلَمَّنْ هَزَمَ الْمُسْلِمُونَ But when the tide turned, and the Muslims started to suffer defeat in the battlefield, إِنْ حَزْتُ إِلَىٰ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم. My first thought, the first thing that occurred to me was my mind raced to the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. And I said, I gotta find him. And I found the Prophet ﷺ, and I went out there and I stood in front of the Prophet ﷺ ready to fight. I, got, I had a sword in one hand and I was fighting people off with the sword, defending the Prophet ﷺ. And I then picked up a bow and arrow and I started to shoot people down with a bow and arrow, defending the Prophet ﷺ. She says, until I was finally very badly injured. So Umm Sa'ad, who is asking, him, asking her about all of this, excuse me, she says, She said, and I saw on her shoulder here, on like the shoulder here, I saw that she had a big wound, like a big, a big sized wound, and it was almost like, uh, it was almost like something was missing from there. There was a big old wound on her shoulder here, and it was like, it was like it was caved in. It was like something was missing, like a chunk of her body was missing. Such a serious wound. So she says, Musa'ad says, I asked Umu Umara, Man asabaki bihada? Who did this to you? She said, Ibn Qami'ah. Ibn Qami'ah was the same one. Think about how wretched this man is. He injured this woman so severely. He killed Musa bin Umayr, according to some of the narrations we went over earlier. And he was the one who also struck the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Think about how wretched this man is. She says, Ibn Qami'ah. And then she says, Aqma'ahullahu. She said, Ibn Qami'ah did this. And then on a play of words, she turned his name into kind of like a dua against him. She says, that May God humiliate him. She said, When people basically started to, you know, kind of turn away from the Prophet ﷺ, we were fighting them off, he came at the Prophet ﷺ, and he said, Tell me where Muhammad is, because if Muhammad survives, I will not survive today. Uh, so she says, myself and Musa bin Umayr jumped forward defending the Prophet And there were many other people who were also defending the Prophet He struck me with this very serious blow. Like he had this serious, he injured me with this so severely. But she says, But I got in lots of hits in exchange for one of his hits. He got me once, but I got 
him a bunch of times. But she says that wretched man, he was wearing not one but two layers of armor. She says, when he got me once, it injured me, and then I got a bunch of strikes on him. But the, the, the wretched man, Adu Allah, the enemy of God, he was wearing two layers of armor, so I wasn't able to get through at him. But otherwise, I had him. <laughs> so this is Umm Umara, radiallahu ta'ala anha. And she was amongst those people who defended the Prophet of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, on that particular day. So I wanted to mention this as... Um, you know, kind of to, to remember her love for the Prophet ﷺ and the sacrifice that she made uh, to defend the Prophet of Allah ﷺ on that day. And so, inshallah, we'll go ahead and uh, end here. And then, as I mentioned earlier, uh, in the next uh, session, we'll start to talk about um, basically the end and the conclusion of the battle. Um, and at which particular time as well, um, we will go ahead and also talk about the, uh, the burial of the shuhada of Uhud as well. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all the ability uh, to practice everything we've said and heard. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to adorn our lives with the sunnah of Muhammad sallallahu And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala adorn our minds and hearts with the seerah, the study of the life of the Prophet sallallahu And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to beautify our homes and our families by teaching them the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Subhanallahi wa bihamdihi, subhanakallahum wa bihamdik. Nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nasaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.